Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience Amateur Hour. Thank you so much for tuning back in. I hope that you guys are having a good week, taking care of yourselves, your hearts, your brains, and your bodies. Let's dive into today's episode. So today I want to chat with you about the neuroscience of sniffing glue and other inhalants. The inspiration for this episode came from a very unorthodox source, my coworker, who has developed a very, very bad habit of super gluing his fingers back together. Now I can't explain. So we are both avid rock climbers, and if you're a part of the climbing community or if you go to the gym, you know that over time you can develop calluses on your hands. And if you're working on a particularly hard problem, or if you're on a rock that has decided that it hates you for some reason, maybe you insulted his shoes or something, you can tear your calluses open, resulting in flappers, which are just like a little piece of skin that's attached by a tiny strip to to your palm, and it just kind of flaps there. It's very annoying. Now, the rational thing to do in this situation is to either cut the flapper off and put a band-aid and some tape on your hands, or put the flapper back down and tape it up in the hope that the skin might adhere itself back together or some black magic voodoo shenanigans like that. But what has my coworker decided to do? He super glues his flappers back down with frickin' gorilla glue or something like that. And then he just keeps climbing. Like what? Why? Are your hands okay? Anyway, we keep making the joke that he'll probably end up poisoning himself or something, but it inspired me to learn a little bit more about the neuroscience of having glue in your body, specifically sniffing glue and other inhalants used for recreational purposes. So let's dive into it. So sniffing glue or huffing or bagging is a way of ingesting a class of recreational drugs called inhalants. They're typically a broad range of household and industrial chemicals whose volatile vapors can be concentrated and then breathed in via the, no- <laughs> the, noth, the nose or the mouth to produce a high. An important distinction is that inhalants are generally consumed at room temperature from the natural volatilization or from a pressurized container and not when they're heated up, such as lighting up a cigarette or a joint. Different drugs I will cover in the future. Uh, Some drugs used in medical procedures are also consumed via inhalation, such as inhaled anesthetics. Think that, like, classic Grey's Anatomy medical show scene, count backwards from 10, they put the mask on and the patient falls asleep, like that. Or, you know, asthma inhalers. But today I will be focusing on the illegal and far more dangerous kind. So some examples of recreational inhalants are paint thinner, gasoline, glues, felt-tip marker fluid, and the like, butane, propane, and aerosols, which are sprays that contain propellants. Think spray paint, hairspray, whipped cream dispensers, etc. They're generally consumed by putting some of the substance, such as glue or paint thinner, into a sealed container, into a plastic bag, or onto a rag, and then holding it to the mouth and nose to inhale it. It does not seem pleasant to me at all. And I mean, I hate the smell of gasoline, so inhaling anything of the like seems like an honest-to-God nightmare for me. Other people will huff directly from a canister, such as a finished whipped cream dispenser. And excuse me, sir, but you are literally missing the best part of that experience. The actual whipped cream. That is the best part. 
there are also whippets, which are tiny canisters um, that are a way of ingesting nitrous gas. I'm not going to go into detail uh, into nitrous. I'll cover it in another episode, but I want you to know that it's in this class of drugs. But ingesting these drugs in this manner produces a high, a sense of euphoria, dizziness, and hallucinations which last a few minutes to half an hour. Most users will huff repeatedly to extend their high. If you think about it, the high doesn't last very long if you compare it to some of the other recreational drugs I've discussed before. Comparably, if you remember the magic mushroom episode, some people will allocate like a half day to their experience, so wildly different. Some people will also experience an alcohol-like intoxication, that dissociation with the world and lack of coordination. Thus, inhalants are characterized by a quick, pleasurable sensor experience, rapid dissipation, and a minimal hangover. Their cheapness and availability make them a common target for abuse by young teens who don't have a lot of resources, ages 14 to 15, which, if you think about it, is terrifying because there is no way that is good for your brain, and their brains are still developing, and oh my gosh, it really stresses me out. Also, I have a personal story to include in this episode. So when I was an undergrad, I was working with this postdoc who asked me to cut a few brains into thin sections and then conduct a nissel stain to see where she had placed her electrodes in the brain. Now, a nissel stain is a way of dyeing the tissue for DNA and RNA, and it's this really beautiful purple dye that just kind of allows you to see the structure of the brain. But importantly for today, it uses xylene as part of the procedure, which as you guessed it, is a pretty nasty hydrocarbon that can be used as an inhalant. Now, this procedure was obviously done in a lab coat and gloves and all the reagents were in the hood, but I did need to kind of like stick my head in to the hood to make sure that I was putting my brain sections on the slide correctly. I couldn't get a good angle otherwise. And then I cover slipped them. So I was doing this for a few hours with my coworker and then right around lunchtime, we looked at each other and we we're like, do you feel weird? I feel weird. I feel like super loopy and dizzy and just kind of happy. And we promptly decided that we need to go outside and get some fresh air and not do that again for the rest of the day. But yep, that's the story of how my coworker and I got a little high on volatile solvents at work. An important lesson was learned that day. Don't put your head in the chemical hood. Never do that. That is not a good move. Um, probably several brain cells were lost for good. So goodbye, neurons. It was nice to have you for a little while. But moving on from that little digression, what's the mechanism of action of inhalants? Once inhaled, these drugs, which contain mostly hydrocarbons of various kinds, aliphatic, aromatic, or halogenated. The last few points aren't super important, but what you need to know is that hydrocarbons are made up of hydrogen and carbon, and that's it. Once those hydrocarbons are inhaled, they are absorbed in the lungs and passed through the bloodstream to the brain and the rest of the body. Inhalants act as depressants, which depress the central nervous system through a variety of mechanisms that have yet to be completely understood. They resemble alcohol and various sedatives in their effect, wherein multiple mechanisms are responsible for a myriad of pharmacological and toxicological effects. Importantly, the dopamine system is thought to be involved, as it plays a role in the rewarding effects of drug abuse. I do want to talk about some of these proposed mechanisms of action. So let's start by talking about toluene, which is a close cousin of xylene. 
Toluene is a clear, colorless liquid with a sweet, sharp odor, commonly found in paint pigments and commonly huffed for recreational purposes. Once in the brain, toluene affects a wide variety of voltage-gated and ligand-gated ion channels through both inhibition and increase of activity. Work by researchers, I'm going to mispronounce this, Rigel, Rigel, R-I-E-G-E-L. I'm going to go with Rigel. Rigel, French, and their colleagues established that toluene could alter the firing rate of dopamine neurons in a brain region called the VTA, a part of the brain's reward, motivation, and cognition circuitry. So in their experiments, they recorded from dopamine neurons while toluene was administered to anesthetized rats via a breathing tube. Each neuron that they looked at showed either an increase or a decrease in activity with no evidence of a single neuron showing both patterns of response. Weird, right? I don't, I don't really know how to interpret that finding. Um, there could be different cell types, but I, wasn't, I couldn't find that in the paper. Or they could have different receptors on them. I don't know. Overall, toluene exposure in animals led to an increase in dopamine released in areas such as the striatum, nucleus accumbens, VTA, and the prefrontal cortex, all important components of the reward pathway of the brain. It also produced changes in the plasticity of dopamine neurons in these brain regions, meaning that their little rat brains underwent physical changes after consuming the drug. Now, changes in plasticity are sometimes difficult to interpret, but I often think of them as... Because of drug use, more receptors are recruited to the dopamine neurons at play, meaning that if you give the same stimulus before and after drug use, you will experience a greater effect after drug use than before because there are more receptors there now. This is the same mechanism underlying learning, forgetting, and other important functions. Another finding focused on the action of inhalants on a well-characterized anesthetic target, GABA synapses. Most commonly used anesthetics in the medical field will activate GABA receptors, which will in turn inhibit or decrease activity in the brain. Researchers over at Stanford University recorded from neurons in the rat hippocampus while administer- administering various commonly abused inhalants to the animal. They found that the inhalant depressed excitability in the hippocampus in a concentration-dependent and reversible manner, and importantly, acted via GABA-mediated inhibition. This kind of research also opens up the door into understanding the role of abused inhalants in disrupting learning and memory, especially since we know that the hippocampus is such an important brain region for both of those actions. Overall, the neuroformal... Excuse me. I think my brain just farted. Uh, Neuropharmacologic properties by which inhalant intoxication occurs are poorly understood, but it's thought that different chemicals are you know, shaped differently and have somewhat different cell activity in the brain and therefore may have different effects. But overall, more research is needed. But one thing that we do know is that many inhalants have reinforcing properties, meaning that someone could become addicted to them. And several studies have shown abusing inhalants enhances dopaminergic function in various portions of the brain associated with the brain reward system very similar to other drugs of abuse, such as cocaine or heroin. Symptoms that someone might be abusing inhalants includes a drunk-like intoxication, slurred speech, loss of coordination, smelling like chemicals, drowsiness, dizziness, and moodiness. 
Given that this drug is most commonly abused by young teens, I feel like it's important to be able to recognize the signs of abuse and when to get concerned. Now, I feel like I lose a few brain cells every time I stand at the gas station for too long smelling gasoline, and I would not be surprised if that were the same for huffing chemicals. And it is true. Chronic use of volatile solvents damages the protective sheath around certain nerve fibers in the brain and the peripheral and the peripheral nervous system, the, the neurons that extend into your arms, legs, and other parts of your body that are not your brain and your spine. This uh, protective sheath is otherwise known as myelin. Myelin serves many purposes, but one of its primary ones is that it helps to convey signals, action potentials, down the long axon of a neuron. Think of it kind of like the insulation around wires and electrical signals, electrical systems, making it so that the signal can travel much greater lengths than down an unmyelinated axon. If you lose that myelin, the neurons can't send signals very well or may completely lose the ability to send signals. This breaks down communication in the brain, affecting concentration, memory, muscle function, general brain function, everything, actually. (laughs) Your brain can't function if it can't communicate with itself. Now, in addition, the method of ingesting these drugs is pretty dangerous as well. Consuming large amounts of solvent gases can displace the oxygen in your lungs, leading to asphyxia or suffocation. Other long-term consequences include the potential for seizures, serious accidents because of the decreased inhibition while under the influence, and damage to your organs in general, including your heart, which can produce rapid and irregular heartbeats that can lead to heart failure. Really, really long story short, maybe just don't do them. It doesn't seem worth it. (laughs) At all. (laughs) Whatsoever. Now, there are treatment options out there for people who are addicted to inhalants and have chosen to seek help. They don't differ very much from treatments used to to treat general addictive behavior. They include cognitive behavior therapy to teach how to handle stressful situations, cope with cravings, and resist the desire to use, motivational interventions, family counseling, activity and engagement programs, and support groups. All things meant to get to the bottom of why people seek to use and abuse drugs and to help them find recovery and support. But that is a bite-sized overview of the neuroscience of sniffing glue and other inhalants. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neurosciencemateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neurosciencemateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again.